Good. Welcome to the creek. Welcome to November. Uh, and uh, welcome to a championship baseball team in the area. So, so two weeks ago, we were in the green room before the last service. And they were, we were all gathered up. And, and uh, Adam said, you want, you want to give a word of encouragement? And I said, two more. And he looked at me. He goes, no, this is the last service. I said, no, two more wins. I mean, so, and they got him. And then they got four more. Praise God. It was awesome. Uh, but I uh, just want to thank you for joining in here online in our loft area. Thank you for being a part of that. Um, and uh, just want to remind you, I know we weren't on campus last weekend because of Serve Weekend, but we have sent you surveys regarding a new campus we're opening in the Azle area. And even if you do not live in Azle, we want your feedback on that survey because uh, this is an all-church effort, so it's not just people who live in that area, but it is all of us that, that are going to have a part in this. And uh, speaking of Serve Weekend, uh, I just want to thank you guys for serving because, man, I mean, the weather changed. It, I mean, it was somebody turned it, it wasn't a gradual thing. It's the way Texas does it, but it was all of a sudden cold. It was rainy, but you still showed up. We had almost 500 people show up to different projects, some out in the rain and in the cold and cleaning up parks and, and working. So thank you for that. It was amazing to get to touch base with as many as we could. And then a lot of you hosted some Halloween things on your, in your driveway to get to know your neighbors, so thank you for that. It was, it was awesome. I love it. I love being a part of a church that, that is outwardly focused and being set in motion. And you just saw the, the video roll in that we're now in our project next. It's called the Christmas, Operation Christmas, uh, where we are blessing the kids and families of Eagle Mountain Saginaw School District. So you'll get a lot more information on that. And so I'll be praying about how you can get on board with that. So we're starting a new series this weekend called Life in Death. And, and I know timing's a little awkward because we're going into the holidays. And, uh, but this, it's timely because we're studying the book of John. And this is, this is that section that we're in where Jesus is going to be dealing with a lot of death in preparation for his own death. But also, death has the power to rob us of so many things. And, and so many people go into the holidays just overwhelmed by grief and loss and pain. And uh, I just want to give hope before we really get, get into it. And, and uh, really, the, the key scripture out of this is Matthew 10, 39, where, where we see that it, if anyone would lose his life, um, he'll gain it, you know. And so it's, 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 kingdom economics is difficult sometimes, right? Because Jesus would say the first will be last and the last will be first. If you want to be a leader, be a servant. But he would also say if you try to hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. But when you freely give it to him, then you'll find it. And that's just the way Jesus works with this, that we find life in Christ, even through death, because Jesus is the victor over death. And I want to go to a chapter in John, John 11. And uh, this, is a, this is a tough one, because if, uh, if I have to do a funeral, this is, this is where I go, um, because there's so much hope in what, what Jesus brings in this passage in this chapter. We're breaking this into two weeks, so we're going to teach the first half of, of chapter 11 this week, and next week we'll, we'll do the second part. Um, but spoiler alert, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So, you know, you still need to come next weekend because you want to you be a part of that and learn about it. But, but anyway, let's start out. It says, now a certain man uh, was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the, vill uh, the village of... Let me start that over because I just lost all my words. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother was ill. So the sister sent to him, sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. 
But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus had a connection with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and they were friends. And you'll see even throughout this chapter where Jesus, we, we know that Jesus loves them and that we'll see his love demonstrated throughout that chapter. Uh, but but it's, it's interesting to me because when they sent word to Jesus, all they did was present the need. They didn't tell Jesus what they wanted him to do. They weren't prescribing to Jesus what you should do. They just said the one you love is ill. They didn't say you need to heal him now. You need to get here now. You got to do something. They just gave him the message. They said, this is my request, Jesus. And then Jesus said, he said, this, this isn't an illness that leads to death. And um, Jesus doesn't, doesn't go. Um, most theologians believe that by the time the messenger got back to Mary and Martha, after communicating this message to Jesus that Lazarus had already died, but he says, this does not lead to death. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So when you say Jesus loved them and then he stayed, to me that, that a lot of times we wrestle with this in our faith because if I get a call that one of my family is sick, I love them, I'm gonna go immediately. I'm, I'm gonna drop everything. I mean, I have, I have gotten calls while we were in staff meetings and just got to go, guys. I'll catch you up. I got an emergency. I have to go. Bye. But it's interesting that, that Jesus loved them. They said, the one you love is sick, and then Jesus hangs out. So the disciples are probably picking up a message on this, right? Because it's like, okay, well, Jesus said it's an illness that doesn't lead to death, so it might be just a cold. You know, it might just be something, you know, maybe something he ate, you know, so, all right, it's not going to lead to death, so we're good. We don't have to go. And then Jesus doesn't go, so the disciples are probably thinking, okay, there's, there's no emergency here. There's, there's, there's nothing we have to get moving on. And Jesus stays two days longer where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Now, this is a, this is a loaded statement. Because the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? I mean, a lot of turmoil had happened in the area of Judea. There was a lot of tension, a lot. I mean, everything we've studied with the tension between the religious leaders, the arguments, the fights, and then when they decided we're done with this guy, not just, not just for breaking the Sabbath laws, but for claiming to be God, now we want to stone him for blasphemy. They're out for him. And the disciples are like, Jesus, we, we just left there. That's a hot area. We don't need to go back. And Jesus responds. He said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble. Because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. What Jesus is saying, he's like, there's a time to move and a time to rest. And it is time to move. Jesus knew it wasn't his time yet. Now, this, this decision to go to Judea was, was going to be a tipping point. Because this was the tipping point that would lead into his arrest and his crucifixion, his death, and ultimately his resurrection. So after saying these things, Jesus said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go waken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he, he meant taking a rest and sleep. So there's, there's, there's miscommunication going on. You ever had that with God? You know, where you feel like, I'm praying, God, and are you not understanding what I'm saying? Or you feel like God's speaking to you, and I'm not understanding what you're saying. And so we're on, we're, there's a disconnect here. So Jesus just tells him plainly, he, say, he says, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now, 
Jesus said in verse four, this is an illness that does not lead to death. And then Jesus now just says, Lazarus has died. And a lot of people love to find contradictions in scripture. You know, they like to pull this. Well, this is what God said here. And this is what he's saying here. So something doesn't jive. So can we believe anything about this word of God? And and, and I'm here to tell you that this is not a contradiction because Jesus is saying death is not gonna be the ultimate victory in Lazarus' life. Jesus is the victor over death. He's the only one that can claim that. So he's not, he's not saying he's not gonna die. He said this illness does not lead to death and death is not the final result for Lazarus. But Jesus also knows what's going to happen when he stands in front of the tomb. Jesus is fully man, but he's also fully God. He can perceive the heart of man, but he also knows that he's gonna call Lazarus from this tomb. And for Jesus, it doesn't matter how long he's been in the tomb. When he gets there, he's been in the tomb four days. Doesn't matter. You know, a lot of people ask me, because I'm a pastor, they, they, they ask me some, some questions about death. And there, there's a lot of debates around this. And I've been asked this so many times, so I'll, I'll address it publicly. Can Christians be cremated? You know, because, I mean, this, this is one that a lot of people struggle with. I mean, I had one family where they said, I'm going to be cremated. And it was like, you've just, you've just walked away from church, man. And, and here's, here's, here's my response to that. It doesn't matter what happens to your body, whether you plant it in a box in the ground or you, you burn it to ashes. And I'm personally, I'm going to be cremated because I'm going to put part of my, I'm going to have them put part of my ashes in two urns and I'm going to sit on each of my kids' mantles. And I've just said, just don't put me under the bed and please don't put me in the attic because I don't want to be in that heat in the summertime. So, I mean, I don't care. When my, this body's in, I'm checking out, y'all. But, but they go, but, but then the resurrection in the last day. Well, here's the thing. You go back and read Genesis. How did God make Adam? He formed dust and then he breathed his spirit into it. So I think God can do anything he wants to, whether it's ashes or bones in a box. When he calls the resurrection, it doesn't, but God's that good, okay? He is that good. And uh, so Jesus isn't worried about how long Lazarus has been in the grave. The only thing I would be worried about is the smell because I have a low gag reflex and I'd just be, be, I'd be standing way off to the side when Jesus starts calling Lazarus' name and then I hear him walking out. I'm like, I'm just gonna stay over here and breathe some fresh air because it says in scripture that he stunk. So I'm just, I'm, I'm submitting that, you know, I don't do smells like that. I don't do diapers. My grand, Heather talked my granddaughter into coming into my office the other day after nap and she dealt with a doozy. And as they have this conversation and my granddaughter walks into my office, she goes, Poppy, why don't you change my diapers? I said, you don't want me to. And I don't want to. And I've done my time and I've retired from diaper duty. Okay. I have hung it up, man. I've hung it up. I've hung up the clothespin, and I'm just done with it. But anyway, I'm getting sidetracked now, y'all. Got to stop me on this. You're supposed to hold me accountable. But he's he's telling the disciples, hey, it's a good thing we didn't go immediately because you're going to get to see the power of God at work. I'm going to build your faith through this. You ever stop to think about that? That sometimes God delays because He's got His timing, not our timing, because He really wants us to grow in our faith, not just to get what we want. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's also go that we may die with him. Uh, some people say that Thomas was being a little sarcastic because he knew that Judea was a hot area. He was like, well, if we go in, we're going to die with him too. But also, on the flip side of that coin, you got to look at the courage of Thomas. I mean, Thomas gets a bad rap, you know, doubting Thomas, Thomas the doubter. 
you know, after his experience with Jesus, I would call him Thomas the Devoted. But he was also courageous because he's like, all right, if this is, whether this is a hot area or not, Jesus said, it's not his time. We're going to go. I'm following you. Let's go. So verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. How many times have we asked that question? God, if, only, if, if, if you would have only done something, if you would have been here. God, if you, you're the guy, you could do anything you want. You could have intervened and we would not be dealing with what we're dealing with right now. So she comes out, and I love, I love Martha's honesty. I mean, she, she comes out, she, she comes to Jesus, and she just calls it like it is. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. But see, Jesus had already given a promise in verse 4. When he sent the message back, he said, this illness doesn't lead to death. Now, Martha's got to be conflicted. She's like, he's dead. He's been dead for four days. He's been in the tomb for four days. And if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. You could have done something. Jesus, where were you when my marriage was falling apart? Jesus, where were you when my, my whole family was crumbling? If you'd have been here, if you'd have done something, this wouldn't have happened. I mean, that's a gut level, honest approach to Jesus. We'll come back to that because she's bringing her, I think there's probably a little bit of anger in that. Now she sent word to Jesus. She said, the one whom you love is ill. She didn't say what her expectations were. Now she's communicating an expectation. You should have been here. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. She says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. So there's faith. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So she's like, I know there's a future hope. There's a future moment. I know that. I know that. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. So he's, cha he's changing a theological paradigm for her. See, Martha's Jewish. And a lot of the Jews, just, they felt like, okay, you're just going to go into this sleep and actually, there's some, some Jewish passages that would teach that death is the finality. There's nothing after death. That, you know, you, the grave is the end of everything. What, what a sad view. When you look at the God of the universe who created us as eternal beings, that that's, this is, that's it. That's all there is. But Jesus is reframing something theological here for Martha. He's saying, no, I'm not just talking about a resurrection the last day. I am the resurrection. Not an, a resurrection is not an event. It's a person. Jesus is personified. I am the resurrection and the life. And he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He's changing her thinking a little bit, and now he's asking, do you believe this? The faith that you had when you said, where were you if you'd have been here? But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, he'll give it to you. Martha, I, I am the resurrection, and I am the life. Do you believe this? Do you believe that I'm Lord over death? Do you believe that I am Lord over your emotions? Do you believe that I'm Lord over all creation? I mean, John starts out, in the beginning was God, and the word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. Also said there is nothing created that was not created through Him. Colossians teaches us that by Him, through Him, and for Him, all things were created. Jesus is saying, in all of creation, even death, I am above that. 
And it's interesting because Martha doesn't answer that question. She answers the deeper question that Jesus is asking. Do you believe I am the Christ? Do you believe I am the Messiah? And she answered him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. She answered the real question. She was able to step outside of the grief and step outside of everything, but she answered the real and right question. And so I, I, I wanna kind of hone in on this, what Jesus said, because verse 25 and 26 can be a little confusing. I'm the resurrection, the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Okay, so we, we're living now. This body will die, but there is a resurrection for us. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So does that mean because I put my faith in Christ that I'll never experience death, that this body, that I'm not going to die? Now, let, let, let's, let's really get in. What happens when we die? It's our body that dies. God created us just as God is a triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have a triune creation within us that we are body, we are mind, and we are spirit or soul. And that spirit is the eternal part of us because we're created in the image of God. Now, our body will die but our spirit will move on. And a lot of people, what happens after you die? You know, do you, do you see the big light and do you go towards the light? And man, I've read stories about what happens when people have died and then they come back. And man, some of them will send chills up and down your spine with how, how crazy it is that, that, that there is life after death. And that's what Jesus is t- saying to Martha. He's like, that death is real. Death is an enemy, but there is life after death and Jesus is the, the Lord over it. And so when we think about our body dying, what happens to our soul? You know, it, it, we don't just go into this comatose state and wait for Jesus. What happens is, I like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 8. He says, to be apart from the body is to be present with the Lord. I mean, for Jesus to say on the cross to the thief on his, on his side, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say, hey, you're gonna go to sleep for a little while. You're gonna, you're gonna rest, you're gonna wait, and then I'll wake you up and then we'll go to paradise. He goes, no, today you'll be with me in paradise. That that moment we draw the last breath on this side of eternity, we will inhale the presence of God. And I, I, a lot of people wonder about the resurrection. I mean, we're in a lot of, we're in a lot of tumultuous times. And there's a lot of talk about end times and a lot of end times prophecy and things going on. And, 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 and people ask me, do you, are we in the end times and my answer would be, yes, we're in the end times. I don't know if we're at the end of days. I mean, one of the things that I'll do, if I, if you, if I always have to be doing something with my hands. And uh, I, had a, I had a keys and I had a lanyard. And you know, you guys know what a lanyard is and I had keys on it. I would sit there and I would spin it around. But then I'd put my finger in between and I would spin it and it would spin around and just tightly wrap up, you know, and then hit. And then I'd go the other way. So I look at time like that. That it's swinging, but as it's swinging, the rope is getting shorter. And as it gets shorter, it goes faster. And so I don't know where we're at on the final trumpet call here, but I do believe we're in the end times. Matter of fact, every generation from the resurrection of Jesus believed they were in the end times. I mean, the apostles believed that they would, Jesus, they saw him ascend off the Mount of Olives and he said, I'll return for you in the same way. I mean, in John 14, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. I'll go and prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and receive you unto myself. So they believed that they were going to see the return of Christ in their lifetime. And I, I do believe we're getting closer and closer to that moment. And it's not something for us to fear. 
Because, we're, well, if you're in Christ, it's not something to fear. Because we know what Jesus is teaching here, that he's Lord over death. But there will be a moment, there will be a resurrection of the dead. And so what's that going to look like? Everything coming up out the grave and, and all the urns breaking and all that, you know. But I, I, I want to just, instead of me trying to explain, I want to read the scripture. Because so, scripture is going to teach us and it's going to be more clear. It says, but some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Paul says, you foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind for humans, another kind for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. I'm not saying any theological thing about my dog being in heaven right now, okay? I believe my dog's going to be there, and I believe he's going to be redeemed and healed of all that anxiety that keeps us in such a turmoil. Amen. Where was I? Oh, there are heavenly bodies and there's earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind. The glory of the earthly is another. There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. I'm just going to stop there because when you look at the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, because people think in heaven we're just going to be a spirit floating around. We will have bodies. They will be glorified bodies. I will not have to work out as much as I work out just to maintain the terrible eating habits I have now. It will be a glorified body. I will have abs for days. So will you. So we won't be jealous about it, you know. We won't look at other people in the gym and go, well, they just, that's all they do, you know. They just eat lettuce all the time, you know. I, I mean, listen, I work out to, to, to keep up my diet. So judge me how you want, but that... But when Jesus was resurrected, he was also in a physical form because he said to Thomas, touch the scars. Because remember Thomas, unless I can touch it, I'm not believing. Come touch, Thomas, come touch. And he was recognizable. People will say in heaven, we're not going to recognize each other. Why? If God is a relational God and created us for relationship with him and with each other, why would we walk around in eternity and glory going, I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. Who are you? I mean, it's like, it's like eternity of visiting a church. I mean, we've all done that. You know, when you visit a church for the first time and you walk in, you're like, hey, what's this all about? I don't know anybody. And, you know, you just try to look like you played the game, like I know what's going Heaven's not, heaven is relationship. And we will know each other. And there will be a physical resurrection of the body. But this body, this body will die. Why? Because of sin. That when sin happened, death entered the world. Paul says that this body just became perishable. And the date on that perishing will, will change. I think I'll probably go after Heather because I will push the dates on leftovers as far as I can. And she will open it up and she goes, at your own risk, honey. That's perishable. Leftovers are perishable. This body is perishable. But it will be sown perishable, but it will be raised imperishable. It will be raised eternal. 
that Jesus says there is a resurrection. He is the resurrection. The only way we get that is through him. So we have victory over death because of him. But death is hard. I mean, as a pastor, I've walked through some of the most difficult days of many of your lives. And I've walked through more death than I, than, I, than I ever care to love. If you're sick and in the hospital, I will go visit you, but I hate going to the hospital. I hate the smell. There are certain flowers that when I smell them, triggers memories. Because as a pastor, I've had to go into some of the most desperate situations where it seems like death won. And it's hard because it breaks our heart. It puts us into this process of mourning and grieving. But even in that, Jesus is still Lord over death. And what Jesus shows up in Bethany to do with Martha and then Mary is to change a perspective of death. I mean, he kind of sets some things. I mean, I, th- I think when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and life, I think he's reframing us of current pain versus everlasting joy. I mean, we go through painful things. Think of it this way, that that point, you could reword it to short-term pain versus long-term gain. We are an instant society. We want it fixed. We want it fixed. I've walked with some of you through the grieving process, and you're trying to work the grieving process like like steps on a checklist, but we don't get to set the time and when that's going to happen. But we deal with the pain. We deal with pain right now. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 through 18, you know, Paul was like, you know, our bodies are dying, but we're being renewed every day. And then he talks about these light momentary afflictions. When I read that, in the midst of suffering, that's hard to hear. Because sometimes it can feel like this is making light of my suffering. He's like, you know, for somebody to say, if, 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 if I'm suffering and somebody says to me, well, these are just light momentary afflictions, that doesn't help me in that, in that moment of my affliction. It is very heavy. But what he does is he reframes a perspective of glory, that he will redeem every moment of my affliction. That there will be a day that he rights all the wrongs. He, he reconciles all the accounts. It never minimi- Jesus never minimizes our pain in this life. He recognizes that pain is real. He promises us his presence in it. And he promises to see us safely through it. But he's never going to minimize it. He just gives us the perspective. Jesus made a promise. This is an illness that does not end in death. And his promises are true. So just as Jesus calls Lazarus from the tomb, so is Jesus faithful in our life. He's the same God. And for those who belong to him, we will experience an eternal joy that it will overshadow those moments of affliction because once he redeems it, he doesn't just make us forget them. That's important. It's not that we forget the challenges, but he redeems the pain we have through the challenges. There are experiences in my life I never wanna repeat but I would never trade the lesson that I had to learn the hard way. And he will redeem every one of those moments. And then, and then this balance of grief versus glory, right? You look at Martha. Martha comes to him in verse 21. She says, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. But yet she can still give glory to God. 
I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. And every one of us, when we go through pain and loss and heartache and, 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 and specifically death in this, in this instance, we're going to grieve. But we have hope and promise from the scripture that 1 Thessalonians 4 says we don't grieve as the rest of the world does, as those who have no hope. So even in our grieving, there is a hope. There's a hope that God isn't finished working, that death never has the final word. Jesus always has the final word of it. Jesus even said, we're going to mourn, but he made a promise to us in Matthew 5. He himself said, you will be comforted. So there's, there's hope in our grieving. There's comfort when we mourn because he is the power. He is working all things out and he is working hard at this. And this grief versus glory, the light momentary affliction, it says in, in, in 2 Corinthians 4, it says that it is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. So I, I go through a process in the gym well, we start adding weight. We start adding more plates to the bar. We start getting heavier dumbbells, you know. And, and all I'm thinking is, I don't want to do that. That's going to hurt tomorrow. But what it does is it prepares me for heavier weight. That's what these momentary afflictions, Scripture says. It's not minimizing the weight and pain of what we're feeling, but it is preparing us to handle the weight of His glory. And listen, I have, I, have, I have failed to give God glory in my pain and in my grief in the past. I've taken the same attitude as Martha. If you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened and never got to the point where I was glorifying him because I have to remember to let his glory be preeminent, not let my grief overshadow his glory. And in the past, I mean, anger has taken me. And, and what I've learned is if I take my anger out on God, I am refusing to glorify him. That my life is all about the glory of God. Your life, we're all about the glory of God. And when we take our anger out on him, we're refusing him of his glory. However, when we will humble, humble ourselves and take our anger to him, then he can work his power in that. Because when we find ourselves in moments like Martha and Mary and all the people that are mourning and grieving with her is, is the same thing we, we look at, the power of death versus the power of Jesus. And death, death is an enemy. Death is a powerful enemy, but, and, and I, I'm gonna choose to fight it. But death is already a defeated enemy. And that's what we have to remember. Yes, death has the power to throw us into grief. Death has the power to throw us into mourning and loss and, and to, to think about the things that we won't ever get to experience with our loved one again. But it does not have the final say. I mean, Martha and Mary, the, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. People were coming two miles away to mourn with them and to grieve with them and to comfort them. And you know, in that process, there's all the stories and there's all the ups and you're laughing about stories you've had. And then the next thing you know, you're crying because you realize I'm not gonna get another Christmas. I'm not gonna get another birthday with them. I'm not gonna get to experience that. But death does not have the final word because Jesus declared, I am the resurrection and the life. That was before he raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus declared, I am the resurrection and the life, and that was before he himself was crucified and buried. But then we get to Matthew 28, right? When the ladies come to the tomb on the first day of the morning, and what does the angel say to them? I know you're here looking for Jesus. 
He was crucified. You're coming to see him, but he's not here. What does the angel say? He has risen just as he said. And that moment stands for all of eternity for us to see that Jesus has the final word and the final say over death robbing us from anything. That's why Paul would later go on in, verse, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians to say, oh death, where is your sting? Oh death, where is your power? It is fully and finally defeated through the resurrection of Christ. And there will be a day that everything is redeemed. And yes, Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb, but we can still walk in faith. They were, walking, they were trusting Jesus. Martha, do you believe this? When she said, yes, Lord, I believe she's saying, I can trust you. I trust you. I trust you with this. And I would just ask you to, to come to that point of faith with Martha. I mean, to walk in faith with Jesus, who is the resurrected son of God, to be able to give him glory in all things, even in the pain. I know that sounds Sounds backwards, but even in the pain, we can honor and glorify him. And when we're frustrated, when we're angry, God, you could have done something about that. We can bring that to him and submit ourselves to him in faith. So I just ask, where does your faith stand? Even in pain and grief, my hope and my heart for you was that you would be able to look at him and respond, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the son of God, who came into this world to give me life out of death. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we worship you. You are our crucified and resurrected Savior. And Jesus, even so often when we're going through things and it feels like you're distant and you're uninterested in what's going on in our life, we know that you are fully aware of every ounce of suffering we walk through. And you are fully present in our pain. And we know that you will fully redeem every ounce of it because you are the Christ, the crucified, resurrected Son of God. And we worship you. So Jesus, I ask you to open our eyes to your life, to your hope, to your glory and your power. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.